This is The Radical Therapist, a space where we explore the intersections of collaborative therapy, philosophy, art and science and technology in a post-Freud, post-psychology world. Welcome to The Radical Therapist. We are now at episode number 87 and today we are talking with Dr. Mariana Casale about uh, narrative bibliotherapy. So you're not going to want to miss this. Before we get there, I just wanted to make a quick announcement. If you listened to the last podcast where Justine Diarigo and I talked about our project uh, Beyond Critique, um, Composition and Curiosity in Therapy, uh, the a book emerging project from Thick Press is now available. You can get it. I mean, I have to say this: it's it's uh, it's an edition of eighty, and I've heard I think near nearly half of them are already gone. So you're going to have to hurry, but uh, but which we're happy about. But it's at thickpress.com. T h i c k p r e s s dot com, and it's an opportunity for you to support a small press and uh, uh, review our work in a unique format. It's not having to read a or pay for, more importantly, pay for a academic journal. This is, uh, I think, they're selling for five bucks at Thick Press, so and shipping five dollars plus shipping. Uh, and you can um, kind of, you know, explore our ideas. So uh, if you're interested in possibly what might be next around some therapeutic movements, um, or if you're somebody that likes wrestling with how do we integrate um, social justice in our practices, how do we stay curious, um, how do we not be called into uh, maybe uh, reductionist um, actions uh, or enacting instant uh, critique in the ways that our culture is kind of uh, calling us to do at this time, you might be really interested in this piece of work. And I'm doing, uh, we all are doing a Facebook Live on uh, February 27th as part of the Printed Matter uh, Art Book Fair, which is held in New York, but it'll be virtual this year, of course. Um, but um, we will be, myself, Justine, uh, Aaron Siegel, and Julie Chow from uh, Thick Press, we will all be doing a Facebook uh, Live uh, as part of the book fair. So, uh, and you can get that at the Radical Therapist Facebook page. So if you're still on Facebook, uh, please go uh, like the page or there'll be updates about the Facebook Live coming up and it'll be on February 27th. 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and I think that makes it 10 p.m. GMT. So, uh, and I hope you will join us. So, okay, that's my announcement. Uh, please support the work of us subverting the academic institutions, <laughs> uh, journaling institutions. So, uh, okay, let's get to our guest. Really excited to introduce you to Dr. Mariana Casale, born in Buenos Aires, currently living in Manchester, UK. Uh, she's a former languages lecturer. She now works as a bibliotherapist and literary facilitator and trainer and independent researcher. 
Mariana specializes in narrative bibliotherapy, Latin American, English, and comparative literature and experimental fiction. Her current research interest is post-structuralist approaches to the use of literature in mental health care, which is what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Mariana graduated uh, in English in Buenos Aires and tamed, uh, attained a master's degree in uh, London and uh, has recently, well, in 2010, obtained her PhD in Latin American Cultural Studies from the University of Manchester with a thesis on Borges, uh, the making of Jorge Luis Borges, an Argentina cultural icon, which was published by MHRA in 2014. More recently, she has trained in narrative practices at the Institute of Narrative Therapy in London, where she continues to receive supervision. So without further ado, let's meet Mariana. Hi, Mariana. Welcome to the Radical Therapist podcast. Hello, Chris. It's lovely to be here. Yes, thank you. Uh, I've been following you on social media for a while, and I've been become quite curious about the work that you do. And I'm glad. Thank you for making the time to be here. And uh, I guess I'm going to start with because um, I, I really quite you know you think being kind of influenced by narrative theory, I would be. Uh, a little more, although I do use books occasionally and often try to have clients access characters, maybe if they don't have a real person in their life, somebody in literature or, or what have you that has been influential in their life. But um, but I, I feel I, I'm not that knowledgeable about bibliotherapy. So I guess maybe to start, my first question is, what is bibliotherapy? And, and, and you have a particular u- unique approach. You, you come at it from a narrative approach. And I'm wondering how that is might be different from traditional bibliotherapy. Right. So I come to bibliotherapy from literature rather than coming from therapy into literature. Um, and I kind of stumbled upon it. I started um, facilitating reading groups and I realized that a lot more was going on in the groups that, than just a conversation, a sort of superficial conversation about a book. It was so much more than a book group or a book club. So I kind of started observing that people, whatever um, you asked people about a story, people's answers were always about their own story as they saw it reflected in the story that we were talking about. So, um, so I became curious about how this happened and what, how my first question was, what do I do with this? And then of course I, became became more aware of what was going on and I realized that the question was how do I hold this so that's when I started um, becoming in, more interested in narrative therapy my own therapist is a narrative therapist yeah, and so she was supervising my work already and it all happened quite organically and quite spontaneously hmm. um, so the way that I work would be um, I suppose it would be the inverse to using um, literature in a therapy session, but rather sort of developing a sort of therapeutic approach to the encounter with text that's already given. So um, that's how it works. It's really holding that kind of um, sense of um, um, awareness and being reflective that happens that already happens in your encounter with the text you don't even have to make it happen it just happens naturally 
Yeah. Um, so maybe for our listeners or um, if they wanted to kind of step in this work a bit, little bit, I'm going to maybe ask you how you structure your work or what might a bibliotherapy consultation look like or what might a group look like or. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, the word bibliotherapy is, is conventionally used for the prescription of literary texts for certain problems. So you have a problem and you have a solution in the form of a text. That is not how I work. I couldn't possibly prescribe. I don't. I don't function in that way. Um, and um, so, I most of my work focuses on group work. So, you know, the, I, I facilitate the groups that where the literary text opens up conversations where we start deconstructing all sorts of things, and then eventually they lead to kind of reauthoring conversations. To, to kind of, um, and then individual consultations work in a similar way. I will suggest a text and then a conversation will be opened up by the encounter with the text. So the, the crucial point is the encounter with the text and then very carefully listening to the conversation about that encounter. And um, the text that you might that I might suggest is sometimes... It has a certain theme or a certain approach or a, or a certain genre, but that's just uh, just to, to orient myself. Uh, whatever happens in the session will depend on, you know, the person's encounter the text. Yeah. And, yeah, and that is uh, interesting. You did raise the question. You don't particularly prescribe, but you do suggest. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering what guides you in these suggestions of maybe philosophy, poetry, and other creative nonfiction, what what kind of guides you in that process? Yeah, so um, all of the texts that I use that I use are literary texts. I don't use um, nonfiction okay. or or non literary texts. So I don't use yeah um, academic texts or, or scientific texts. Um, what guides me? There are different um, types of what different ways of choosing text. The most obvious one or the most common one would be um, thematic, a thematic thread. So, for example, I'm working on masculinities with a group now. So a lot of those texts are chosen around that topic. And there's a concatenation that begins with um, the construction of masculinity in family relationships and then in community, society, and then uh, politics, etc. So it, it's chosen in that way. Um, but then there are times when I choose a text purposefully because it's a text that is difficult, um, that is uh, that looks obscure, it looks um, unusual, or a text that will um, 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 appear disturbing. You know, a text that 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 um, makes you uncomfortable. So I'll work with that. What's it like? What, why, why, why do we feel uncomfortable with this? What's, um, what does it, what does it feel like? Um, what do we do when we're confronted with a text that seems to leave us out of it? What's it like to feel outside of the texts? Mm. What, how do we go in? You know, how do we um, use the keys that we already have? So, so that's another consideration. Mm. And I also choose texts that will encourage people to read with their bodies 
Hmm. So a lot of poetry, for example, you know, sort of reacting, kind of a somatic reaction to 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 sound and texture. Hmm. So literature then becomes a multifaceted um, door. Hmm. Like. Yeah, that's uh, thank you. That's wonderful. Um, I guess my next question is, uh, how do you work across uh, maybe the, what I'm calling the developmental spectrum? You know, I don't know if you work with young people or uh, just as adults or what have you, but across the, you know, the spectrum of age, um, d- does it change what you do or how do you how do you work with that? Right. So I, m- most of my work is, is with adults mm-hmm. uh, and adults will go from you know, late teens, early 20s to 100 um, or whatever, you know, just <laughs> adults in all stages of adulthood, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, um, so I don't work with children. I sometimes work with teachers, teachers who work with children. So I'll help teachers um, make text accessible, for example, or I'll help teachers uh, in sort of training sessions to find um to be able to um, get in touch with the child's own um, sense of empowerment in, in the presence of a text. So that, that kind of thing, so empowering readers, if you like. Mm. But I don't directly work with children. Mm. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, but I, I did see you, you, I think you have a teaching group, go, a teacher's group going on currently. Yes. Okay, yeah, so... Okay. Uh, I do have a question, um, and maybe this goes back to how, how, how the work might look, but it is around questions. How do you do, like, question development or, um, like, do lines of inquiry when people show up? How does that look for you? Yeah, I mean, my, um, I always uh, start by asking people, you know, what their experience was like with text. Well, no. That's not true. I don't always start like that. Sometimes, I, sometimes I start with um, with a guided meditation. So, if we are working, so for example, if we're working with, um, sometimes work with space um, narratives of space. So I'll I'll have a little narr- um, uh, guided meditation about you know us in space and you know what do we find, etc. What different types? So that uh, sometimes puts us in mind of that relationship with space. So I'll, I'll ask a question, you know, that leads from there. But most of the time, in my sort of more um, regular um, sessions, I'll, I'll just ask what struck you, you know, what stood out from the text? Um, what, what, what um, you know, what, what um, word uh, had the, the most texture, for example, or what, uh, what jumped out at you? Just really simple. I, I always try to keep it very simple because I'm, sometimes I ask quite convoluted questions. When I become a little bit, you know, when when my sort of academic background kind of gets hold, <laughs> grabs hold of me and I become all sort of complicated and people stare blankly at me and I go, okay, so what did you like about this story? Oh, okay, so people start talking <laughs> about... Um, so I, I just always open... Um, in a very simple way, and then just a lot of listening very attentively, picking threads, and um, and then those th- those threads that I'll pick will have to do with always uh, breaking up things, you know, um, deconstructing stuff, you know, how do we know this, who tells us this story, you know, how does... Um, 
how does this story um, change according to whether we're looking from 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 outside the house or from inside the house or if we're following a character or another and people will follow different characters in the story you know mm -hmm. sometimes some some questions are related to how we relate to the characters um, there are people who just come at you and say i really hated this character why did you make me read this story i really i was so upset that this character was there i don't and some people have really strong reactions and so we'll start uh, you know asking someone else in the group do you feel the same um, and um, and then uh, it you know it becomes a conversation as to what 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 in the structure of the text is 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 giving us that uh, that reaction and so that, that is helpful I think because then you know, we start thinking, oh, actually, it's not because things are essentially this way, but because they're constructed in this way. And mm. so that's how text is helpful. Sorry. Yeah, wonderful. No, that was wonderful. Um, so I know you're active on social media, and I and for the listeners, I will, uh, in the show notes, uh, have links to Mariana's stuff. But I know you're active on social media, and I recently, while I was researching for this conversation, I came across an article titled, Podcasts as an Evolution of Bibliotherapy, and I don't know if that's accurate or how you feel about that, but I, I, do, I am wondering, how do you prefer to work with digital media in this work, since a lot of you know, text is going digital. What, do you, what, what are your yeah. thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, for me, I, I, um, text is just the encounter with, with the words, with words um and so it could i mean if it's from a book it's from a book it's fine if it's in a photocopy on a on your napkin from in, in a cafe you know on a on a sugar pack or um uh you know a story that you heard on youtube or on a podcast or that somebody told you or in fact i i use a lot of um creative writing as well okay. and for creative writing the people read to each other their own stuff in the group and so that's also an instance of you know obviously contact with the text so i'm i'm very open as to what constitutes the text that is going to open up a conversation i think um, so I do a lot of reading aloud as well. So um, a lot of people will, will come to the session and they, and they talk about listening to the story and not reading the story. So read, I use reading in, a, in its most uh, sort of in its widest sense. So. Yeah, wonderful. Um, in your work, do you alter your suggestions, your reading success, suggestions based on culture, primary language, country of birth, all of that? And um, I uh, do. I, uh, um, no, no. I uh, as long as the person can read the language in which the story is uh, written, or mm. could could listen to to the story. Um, um, I I don't. Uh, no, the answer is no, because we will, you know, obviously, as you know, we all react to text, whatever form, I mean, or even to visual text, you know, paintings um, or, or advertising or, um, or architecture. We react to text um, with who we are or what, what we bring, you know, the, as readers, we are co-authors of stories so really that in itself will make the text 
different. Mm -hmm. So it's it's fascinating because I, I work with a lot of um, literature and translation because half my work is in Spanish and the other half is in English. And so I often use the same text in um, in different languages and it's utterly fascinating how people react differently to just the texture of and the sound of words mm. and what words mean in, in each person's um, context. Uh, so, you know, we've, you can read, right, so another useful um, instance of, of sort of textual experience is translation. It's just a process of translation. And because the process of translation is an, another instance of co-authoring, um, that's really interesting. So we're reading a story translated from the Japanese. We're reading a lot of Murakami at the moment. Oh, okay. So of course, you know, uh, th th there's this awareness that the, the text that reaches us has gone through other instances of kind of re-authoring. Um, it's it just it's very it's very helpful because it makes us feel that that is possible that there is no sacredness around the text. Of that answers your questions. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think, and so, 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 something that's more important to you maybe might be themes or um, kind of uh, is there a universal universality in all in that in some ways for you, or is there a commonality in some things that you kind of tend to go to? Except for except for um, unusual um, texts or um, kind of avant-garde texts, so I use a lot of Beckett, oh. um, mm -hmm. and so that's there's a lot of um, apparent nonsense in there. So you can't pinpoint anything really. It's a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. So that's that I use that differently from a, a conventional story. So uh, stories are mostly about constructions of um, re relationship um, between people and their relationship to space, relationship to power structures. Um, um, that's always there in stories anyway. So, mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Um, and I'm sure people are probably wondering this question. Are there, are there any works or poems or books that you return to over and over again? And who are your favorite writers? <laughs> I know that's a big question, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's enormous. Um, right, so I'll say that perhaps uh, one of my favorite writers is um, Jorge Luis Borges from um, Argentina, mm -hmm. and I wrote my PhD thesis on him as um, as an icon, as a cultural icon. Um, and he is my favorite writer because I derive a lot of pleasure from his texts and because I really enjoy um, um, using those texts that are traditionally considered difficult or erudite or, you know, um, too philosophical. I love using that um, with completely ordinary readers and sort of t totally debunking uh, th that idea that, oh, you know, you have to have a PhD to be able to understand that, completely breaking that down and sort of bringing it down to the sort of playfulness of the text, the sense that um, erudition, you know, these ideas of erudition, um, authority are... Um, the constructs mm -hmm. and we can play with them mm -hmm. and the more playful we are the the less oppressive those structures will be so i love 
those texts because they're very generous in that in that respect. And then Beckett is is also one of my favorite writers. Those are the conventional, the um, sort of more canonic ones. But then I um, I love um, experimental anything experimental, anything very new, very um, anything that revises more. Uh, cl classical, more traditional literature and, and turns it on its head. I love that because that makes us feel, um, it allows us to feel that we can do that too. That's great. Thank you for that. So, um, um, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Um, so I have two more questions. Uh, the, this question is, I always like to ask my guests, and that is, uh, what ideas or or texts, or um, just um, art, whatever. What is capturing your attention now? What, what what are you thinking about these days? These days, I'm thinking a lot about um, um, yeah, constructions of masculinity is the mm. thing at the moment for me. We've we've done a lot of um, uh, narrating the female body, but in, in I suppose the sort of a flip side of um, big um, feminist movements, especially in Argentina um, at the moment. Argentina very, very recently uh, decriminalized um, abortion. Yeah, right. Very recently, only 29th of December, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of, of struggles. Um, um, so I, um, that's something that really uh, catches my attention. You know, how, what, what, what constructions of masculinity go into the perpetuation of, of the patriarchy? And so a lot of, you know, how does violence play in that? How, you know, violence in language, for example, that's, that's important. Um, and then, of course, space. Space is, is something that, um, that we worked with a lot uh, during 2020, you know, mm -hmm. our relationship with space and of course rethinking space re-narrating space uh, you know making it narrating it ourselves rather than letting space narrate us so yeah so right. th those bigger ideas but yeah what are some of the so. texts you're using for the masculinity work yeah um so most of i'm so we're reading some uh, murakami yeah. and we we read some hemingway for example <laughs> around that but also at the same time i'm using we're reading uh particularly one one of my groups we're reading murakami together with samantha schweblin who's an argentine short story writer who sort of flip flips it round so so reading the two texts together and at the same time because both of them are we, re we read in translation mm -hmm. that helps us kind of uh, to tease uh, all the little threads that, that that construct those ideas together so um yeah that and then reading lots of uh, short story writers from argentina who write from a relationship with um the landscape as well uh, and how that constructs, you know, um, re relationships uh, between men um, and um, fathers and sons, for example, um, political context, you know, dictatorship stories. Um, I, I use um, I use a variety of texts, and I like to combine them. Mm. Um, so because that. You know, everything that anything that breaks things apart is useful, I think. That's great. And this has been enlightening. So thank you, Mariana. <laughs> um, my final question, if uh, our listeners want to see what you're doing and find you, how do they find you out there? 
Well, I'm, uh, um, I have a website that's going to be launched very soon in the next couple of weeks, and that's, um, that's marianacasale.com. So it's my name and surname.com. Then I'm in um, Instagram at Dr. Mariana Casale. Uh, and I'm in Facebook, Facebook with my name. And in Twitter, um, where I'm at La Memoriosa. <laughs> We'd have to write that down. That's a reference to a Borges story. La Memoriosa. Yeah, and, mem- and listeners, I will provide links for these in the show notes so you can just <laughs> e- easily access them. So, Mariana, thank you very much for making the time. Yeah. And, and this has been wonderful. And uh, I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you. You're most welcome, Chris. All right. That's our show. And as always, please uh, share this uh, with somebody that you think would enjoy it. And also, I mean, who can, who's not? You know, who, what therapist hasn't ever recommended a book to read, right? So, uh, and this is a way to maybe do it more intentionally, uh, more creatively, and more innovatively. So, uh, please share it with some other folks. And of course, always rate and review the show on iTunes. If you could do that for me, that would be awesome. And um, come find us on all the social medias uh, Instagram at The Radical Therapist. Uh, Twitter at The Rad Therapist, um, Facebook, of course, so you can get plugged into the Facebook Live that's coming in, coming up. And if you want to send me an email, I can be reached at theradicaltherapist at gmail.com. And uh, I, I really appreciate your continued support of the podcast. And as always, I'm Dr. Chris Hoff, and thanks for listening. <laughs>